really doing this research so that you understand the connections between people, where they are in the organization. He, he and his team, they do a lot of like reading LinkedIn posts, what they're talking about, what they're saying on Twitter. And when you connect the dots, you will then have a more complete picture as to what things maybe are important to them, what they're trying to do in the org, how they're connected. And I've seen that be really effective in terms of trying to identify things that are gonna matter and to help create that um, champion. Hey everyone, George Soto here, and you're watching Demo Diaries. I'm joined today by Bridget Gleason, who's head of sales and customer success at Tidelift, as well as Matthew Arno, who is head of sales at Tidelift. How are you both, Bridget? We'll start off with you. How are you? How are you doing? Great, great, great. We're starting to get vaccines. I'm starting to see the world open up. It's a beautiful day here in California. No complaints. I hear you. Well, Matthew, I know we were chatting in our prep kind of green room experience beforehand, and you're from South Florida. Uh, why don't you take a quick second to introduce yourself? How'd you actually get into technology and now heading sales at Tyler? Sure. Yeah. I, I grew up in South Florida, as you mentioned, and, uh, you know, had this kind of um, passion, I guess, for the Northeast. So I lived in uh, Boston for about 15 years. I'm now based out of Brooklyn, New York. Um, but spent a lot of time out in uh, Breckenridge, Colorado. Um, so I think technology drew me in because I like the flexibility of being able to work remote. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of people are doing that for the first time during the pandemic, but uh, I had the good fortune to be able to do that for the last eight years. So um, been traveling up around a bit. Uh, you know, how I got into tech was um, I, I worked at the kiosk in high school. <laughs> selling selling phones and faceplates and light up antennas, if you remember those things. And uh, just really loved the mobile technology and just stuck with it through um, 15 years, really, uh, you know, seeing mobility evolve for, for the whole society. And uh, I was fortunate enough, um, you know, about eight years in to get into enterprise mobility. Uh, so really carved out a niche for myself. I really became an expert uh, around how large organizations think about mobile technology, how they deploy the technology, and really the security, right? Application security has become, uh, you know, quite a large, um, you know, factor for, uh, you know, how enterprises think about security, um, just the way we do business these days. And, uh, you know, like most people got, we got a little burnout about uh, mobility and uh, learned about Tidelift about two and a half years ago. I thought the mission was really interesting. Um, you know, it's got a business aspect to it, but also more societal, societal, a societal, a societal impact, um, you know, to our model of, of working upstream with the actual open source maintainers that are uh, creating uh, these open source projects that, you know, the world really relies on. Bridget, how did you get into technology? We've known each other for quite a long time. You know, we met at yesterday. We were actually chatting about that. What was just kind of your journey to where you're at right now? Oh God, I think right. You know, I was an English major in school. I realized I'm going English and business major, but I was a a TA in the engineering department. So I've always sort of had both sides of the brain firing. So 
my first job out of school actually was marketing for a technology company. And I think for me, technology is never boring. It just changes so fast. And for somebody who bores easily, I like that you, you just always, there's more to learn. There's more companies, there's more stuff happening. So I, I really appreciate that part of being in technology. It's just, it's, it's like being a kid in a candy store. If you're curious and you want to learn stuff, like it's, it's just endlessly interesting. You got to be a tiny, tiny, tiny bit on the geeky side. Awesome. Well, Matthew, you know, from a leadership perspective, what do top sales people possess that maybe others don't? Hmm, great question. I, you know, I think there's probably several things. I think one that stands out to me that I think has been also extremely important over the past year with you know the current pandemic um, is really just creating um, mobilizers within every account that you're working. Right. I think more and more we're seeing more stakeholders involved with. Um, enterprise decisions. And, you know, it used to be, uh, we have a champion and that's all you needed. But um, I feel certainly during the pandemic where people are being pulled in lots of different directions and people are going through different things uh, externally from work, um, you know, having a relationship with somebody who can actually not only champion you, but help mobilize you throughout an organization, right? It's becoming more complex um, to get deals done. Uh, As I said, there's more stakeholders. So, you know, having somebody who you can obviously befriend, um, you know, have an attentiveness to, you know, detail and, and, and what pain they're, they're trying to solve, um, you know, I think is really important. And, and, you know, for a salesperson, you know, it, it includes a lot of different uh, attributes. I mean, you know, having some sort of patience, <laughs> um, trying to understand where that mobilizer is trying to get to, right? What's their vision? And aligning that vision to the product or, or solution uh, is critical right now. Yeah. So I'm hearing like really being able to identify that champion is more important than ever and, you know, allow them to help mobilize you internally, you know, and to be able to get to those right stakeholders. And one of the things that I'm hearing just in the market in general is like, you know, the it's no longer a situation where people are, are communicating as effectively. There, there are no like, water cooler conversations, you know, people are just jumping on calls back to back to back. And, you know, sometimes things are lost in translation. And so being able to really be able to, you know, empower those stakeholders that you're speaking to, to do those, uh, you know, kind of like, you know, to communicate on your behalf and be able to champion you is again, more important than ever. Are there any sort of like tactics that you're seeing folks be able to maybe leverage that maybe you didn't think uh, in the past you would ever use to be able to empower these champions? Yeah, well, I can, I can comment at least in our space, um, which is you know kind of ever-growing, which is this open source technology space. Um, there's just a handful of organizations that are, are doing it, I'd say, right today. Um, everybody's got a, you know, a, a way to do it, but it's not always the right way. And I think a lot of stakeholders in these companies are realizing that uh, they're behind, in, at least in our category. And so I think part of you know, creating this mobilizer is how they can evangelize their career internally, right? How can they take um, this idea uh, of something that the organization isn't doing properly in their opinion uh, and really, you know, ride the coattails of them being successful in their organization and empowering them to, 
you know, create their career and, and their, um, you know, kind of uh, leadership role within the organization. And drive their, their legacy. You know, Bridget, when you yeah. think about running these larger teams, you know, one thing that I've sort of observed is that it's not as easy as just sitting down, mapping it out and going, okay, well, that seems to be, you know, sort of the, the right number. How do you like, how many managers or how many reps rather to a manager do you typically think is a good balance? And how do you know when, you know, you really got that right number? Yeah, that's a good question. George, may I just make one quick comment on your previous just the dialogue about um, find, identifying and also creating champions. Absolutely. I think one of the things that Matthew has done well, also in terms of directing his team, is really doing this research so that you understand the connections between people, where they are in the organization. He, he and his team, they do a lot of like reading LinkedIn posts, what they're talking about, what they're saying on Twitter. And when you connect the dots, you will then have a more complete picture as to what things maybe are important to them, what they're trying to do in the org, how they're connected. And I've seen that be really effective in terms of trying to identify things that are going to matter and to help create that um, champion. So I just wanted to, to bring that up as one other tactic. Awesome. Um, in terms of the number of sale of AEs per manager, it depends. It, some of it depends on, I think, the stage of the company and how much, how hands-on an AE needs a manager to be or how complex a deal is. So if you're in a, an organization that is, has a complex sales cycle, like we do at Tidelift, um, and you're also trying to move pe- people up and promote them so they may not have had as many years of experience because we love promoting from within, the manager is going to be able to take on fewer AEs, because there's going to be a a larger component of mentoring and coaching, and it's best done one-on-one. If it's a, it's a more established company and things, there's a lot of other processes you can follow. You can have a bigger team. So I would say, and Matthew, it'd be good to get your opinion in a, like in a company where you still need a lot of hands-on for whatever reason. I think six to eight is a, is a lot like you're that's, that's probably doable, but that's a really, really full load. If you're doing it effectively, I think you can go, you can bump it a bit higher if it's a more um, fleshed out process and system and more mature product and market. What would you say, Matthew, because you're having to do your hands on. (laughs) Yeah, I I think that's, I mean, I'm not saying organizations can't get away with that number, but, you know, I would say in the four to five range Mm. is starting to push it, right? Um, Again, it depends on the complexity of the sale, but when it is an enterprise, um, you know, even commercial uh, account that has some complexity, multiple stakeholders, um, you need to build consensus across a large set of, uh, of people, um, 
AEs need a sounding board, right? They need somebody that they can talk to um, for strategy, you know, account planning. Um, so just, you know, having the ability to create enough time to go through that kind of prep work, let's call it, or pre-work um, is really important. I think there's also an element of making sure the manager's available um, to be a prop of sorts, right? To be able to come on to certain calls or maybe when we're traveling again, fly out to a specific customer or event to meet people um, just to play that part of executive sponsor. That's one thing that I know I've um, used myself and, and have and worked with my team to do is to bring in at, at an appropriate time an executive sponsor. And if you put too many AEs to manager, um, you, you just can't get that kind of work done. What do you think, Matthew, uh, about the idea that a manager can also carry a bag you know, and has that hybrid hybrid role. I, I don't like it. I think that it distracts, but, you know, the manager from like doing a great job of being a coach and a leader, right? Because so not just checking in with people, but then continuing to work with them and coach them up through their entire process, jumping in and helping them do deals and those sort of things. And if you're like worried about your own quota, you know, it just doesn't, you know, it just doesn't seem like you can actually do a great job at either, either task. What is, what's your kind of take on that right now? Yeah, that's a good question. Cause I'm kind of in that situation where I am holding a bag. Um, but I think for where we are as a startup, um, it's actually a, a good thing because I'm, I'm hearing directly from customers, um, some of the pain, some of the messaging that's working and it's not working. So I can work with, um, and we have this unique thing here at Tylift called Smarketing, uh, which is sales and marketing it's kind of together. We're one one team with one quota, and uh, so so I think it's helpful. But I, I do agree, you know, when you get to a certain point where you're more of a um, a mature selling organization, uh, I, yeah, I think the focus needs to be separate um, because yeah, you, you start putting you know your own. Uh, commission checks potentially in front of, you know, your teams. And that doesn't always, uh, that creates, sometimes creates some, uh, some friction, of course, between the leader of the team and the, and the, and the sales folks. Yeah. I think you're right there. Like, you know, startups is, it's definitely a different experience, particularly because you're trying to figure out a, a variety of different things and juggling a bunch of stuff at the same time. So if you can be involved in those conversations, uh, that really does inform, uh, the, the way that you're going to be coaching your team. I do think it, it takes like a specific type of individual that can like carry a bag and run a team at the same time. And is not like super selfish or just doesn't care, you know, about the team. And I do, again, I feel like that's a specific character uh, to, to make that work well. And I, I can imagine that you're doing a great job of it just based on the time I've met you, you know, from a, you know, sort of middle George, manager. One, yeah. Sorry, I'm going to ask one, just make one other comment on that because sure. your point is really, really a good one is the quality, like part of there, there's part of what also makes Matthew a great manager is the team trusts him 100%. There is never a question in their mind that he's not working on their behalf. They never worry, oh, is Matthew going to take this one? And you're right, that's a, that's a, that's a character. 
thing that there's a lot of generosity built in and there's trust and there's transparency. And I would say that's something that we look for also in our AEs is that, and Matthew, I mean, these are the, the people who report to you, but they are, they are the same way with one another. They will jump in and help one another. They will take a call. They'll share a deal. They'll, so I think it's something we really work on as a sales team, that we're a team and let's all help each other wherever we are. And so I think that's just sort of a value that we hold that makes that relationship work. I think I don't worry about the, the oh, is he going to make a call based on his own self-interest? I just think it, it gets to be time where like I think now you know, he's got more leverage as a manager than he does carrying a bag. And it's just, when does that tip over that he feels like that's the right time, but there's so much leverage. When you have a great manager, you want them managing people because that's where you're going to get more leverage than if they're an individual contributor. Mm. Yeah, no, totally. That I, I think that it, it being heart centered, that was actually, as I was writing down the questions I wanted to ask you today, it, you know, that idea of being heart centered as a manager really surfaces, right? And, you know, how do you, Matthew, how, like, how do you find that balance between really caring about an individual, particularly now in this new world that's been really pretty crazy, right? All of us being remote and not having, you know, that, that interaction that we generally have to pump each other up and to be there in person. Now we have to do that and try to simulate that on Zoom, right? And so how do you actually figure that out, that balance between we need to drive excellence, we, we need to hit our quota, we need to hit our numbers, but at the same time, I understand that, that I need to be heart-centered and, and really be able to be there as a coach, friend, mentor to my team. Yeah. I mean, I, so I think, you know, really, you know, providing autonomy, like that, that's always what, I, I, again, what drew me to sales, what drew me to tech, you know, is that you could be kind of autonomous. And that doesn't mean you don't have a team, right? As Bridget said, we have a culture of we're one team, but you know, just like in sports, and I know sports and sales analogies are kind of cliche, but, you know, allowing individuals to, to be their own person, right? And, and giving them and trusting them, right? Passing them the ball, knowing that they're going to go off and do the right thing. I know that was always the best managers I had and, and where, you know, I, I saw mentors I talked to, of course, you know, to this day um, that gave me that autonomy to go kind of figure it out myself deliver on the business, deliver on the value that we can provide as an organization. And, and it always just clicked, right? Um, so I think that's one of the ways that leaders can, um, you know, kind of take that human and heart, you know, centric approach um, is, you know, being very specific on who you're hiring, looking for that, you know, that team player um, who can go off and, and they have admiration to, you know, move up uh, in, in, in the sales org or wherever they want to go throughout the organization. Because I think when you have that right balance of being able to do the job today and wanting to do it, but also having that vision for the future, um, everything will work a lot smoother. Awesome. 
you know, we, of course, we care a lot about the demo. Bridget, we haven't caught up to explain actually what we do. We're, we're a startup ourselves and uh, we help organizations, uh, you know, create the demos to, for sales and marketing purposes and, and so on. So, you know, we're, we're constantly trying to kind of figure out best practices to be able to evangelize those uh, to the market. And so from a, from a demo onboarding perspective, any pro, you know, processes or best practices that you've seen around onboarding your reps, Matthew, uh, around demo or product demo training, and then of course, sustaining or continued education moving forward? Yeah, so I think it all starts with having a solution architecture team um, or, or uh, you know, a sales engineering team of some sort, making sure that you have uh, if you're going to build a, if you're doing technology at least, right, and you have a sales team, it's critical to have you know some sort of technical salesperson, right? Um, and I think that person can really help cultivate a team uh, where it's not always the solution architects providing a demo. Um, you get to a point where they're kind of training uh, the sales team to deliver some sort of demonstration, uh, and they're not having to go to you know, a technical team every time there's a demo. Um, you know, one of the things we've done here at Tidelift um, is we've set up a recurring, uh, you know, once a week session called Tech Hours. And this is an opportunity for all of the team members, including our BDRs, right? People on the front lines, bringing in new leads to the organization. They can ask any technical questions they want. Um, we ask them to put them in ahead of time. So, you know, we have plenty of time to review them and answer them you know, for the individual asking, right? Because it's a different answer for a BDR to an AE to, you know, someone else in the org. Um, so that's been really important. And we can also use that time uh, to showcase any new capabilities, right? In technology, we're always coming out with new features, new capabilities, integrations. So we use that time to review um, what's been coming out over the last week or two and make sure that, um, you know, everybody's on the same page as far as what's what, what what came out and, and what that value to our customers is. Are you seeing differences between like the demo that the SDR uh, does or the AE does on maybe the first or second call versus something that uh, an SE or solutions consultant would, uh, would actually demo that's maybe closer to like a proof of concept? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the SCSA role, they're going to do, you know, that more in-depth um, technical demo. Um, the way I think about a demo for like a, an AE at least is almost use it like slideware. So instead of having a slide presentation with, you know, next slide, next slide, next slide, think about, you know, five screens that you know are compelling to the audience, right? And just stay there. That doesn't mean you have to click around, just click to that page you know, this is where our clients do this um, and then open up the conversation, right? So lead with, this is where I have one client who does whatever it is. Does that resonate with you? Is that how you would see it in your organization, right? So it's like, it's almost like a demo through and discovery at the same time. Um, mm -hmm. And then, you know, it gets them excited enough to, you know, I'd like to go a little bit deeper. And that's when we ask, you know, to bring in a solution architect and that way, we're also communicating to the architect or you know sales engineer, whatever you like to call it in your organization, um, what the needs are. Right? We can be very specific now for the demo because we've uncovered a little bit more uh, than maybe just a, a typical discovery call. Yeah, I'm hearing that 
that same sort of like idea around the hybrid discovery slash demo, where it's kind of just like a, a harbor tour. It's like, Hey, here, here's what you can do. And of course we'll, we'll dig in a little deeper and you know, how do you know, like a demo went well generally, especially now when we're not in person and you can't really see the entire, you know, sort of gamut of like the nonverbals and these sort of things. Are there any additional tactics or plays that you're teaching your team now that we're just totally remote? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, you're right though. Like that in-person, you know, thing, it's, it's like leaving the demo in the hallway. You hear them say one little thing or, Oh, do you integrate with this? Or I forgot to ask. And, you know, yeah. and, and that's like always like the most uh, uh, fruitful comments of the whole meeting for me. It's <laughs> yeah. always been those like little, you know, exits from the demo. Yeah. Nothing's coming to mind that we're doing specifically in, in the remote world. I, I guess one of the challenges, you know, to, I guess just to, you know, I guess repeat back to you in a little way in a way is like one thing I've noticed is because we're remote, a lot more people can be invited to demos and that's not always a good thing. So one thing that we are uh, making sure that the team is aware of is like, who do you have on that call? Do all these people need to be on that call? If all these people are going to be on the call, do we really need to do a full demo or should we think of some sort of hybrid, you know, presentation slash demo for this call and then have breakout sessions with the different stakeholders. Um, I could at least again, comment on our solution at the, at the moment that I'm selling is we have people in legal, um, DevOps, security, of course, um, even sometimes like HR and legal. Uh, so the, the demonstration means different things to different stakeholders and having that opportunity to just have a smaller I guess audience uh, is helpful in the remote world because you know these these um, demos can can get uh, can kind of get out of hand. One other thing that came to mind, and Bridget, you're probably you're probably going to say the same thing. One thing we did recently on a demo, unfortunately, we had 20 people on the live technical demo, and uh, instead of saying like "Don't ask us questions" right until the end, because I don't think anybody really likes that style. Um, what we suggested is, hey. We only have a limited amount of time. There's a lot of folks on this call. If you have questions, please ask us in real time, but can you just put them in the chat window? And that went off extremely well, right? We were able to, one, synthesize the question. Um, and then secondly, we could respond either you know, verbally or we could follow up after with email. So uh, that was one little hack that I think we, um, that we, we learned during the, the pandemic with uh, remote demos. Yeah, and I would, yeah, I would say, um, just building on what Matthew's saying, when I, when I, first of all, things are changing so much that we never have one standard demo that's good for a long period of time. It just keeps changing. For an AE to do a demo, it's really, it's a discovery call disguised as a demo. It's a very, very different purpose. We sell a very technical product, which is why it's better to have a solutions architect. But even then, you know, it's, it's, we want to make sure we just don't go down a rabbit hole. But the way that I think about if it's successful is the level of engagement and questions. And that's why, like Matthew was saying, when you've got a big group, you don't want to shut them down. 
because they're, they're going to be talking in the background. So we want to engage and get their questions. And yet with a big group, it's so easily derailed. So that hack of just making sure they put the questions in the chat um, has been super effective. I love that. You know, Bridget, you've seen plenty of enterprise deals uh, over the course of your career, and uh, you've sold the different types of stakeholders, sales, marketing. You know, now this is a very technical stakeholder. Uh, any sort of tips and tricks that you've seen? I hate to say tricks because that seems so, you know, Yeah, exactly. Uh, But any, I would say, tips or best practices that you've seen uh, top uh, enterprise sales reps be able to roll out to to drive deals to a closer faster? A great discovery call. When you have great discovery and you really understand, it may not be one call. There may be a, when you do great discovery, and, and, and an AE has determined this is a good fit, they're much more likely to close it and much more likely to close it faster. If it's a, not a great discovery call and you're afraid to ask certain things, or you don't have the right people on the call, or you don't know how, like you, you don't go far enough down the path or don't know how to read it, it's much harder. You, you get slogged in a lot of detail. So I think about just a really great discovery at um, the beginning. And Matthew, how much discovery can you do pre-call now with all the technologies that are available? How much yeah. you know, of that do you like expect your reps to do in preparation for a meeting? Yeah, and I expect it and they, they do a great job of it. I mean, it, it, every call, um, there's no cold calls anymore, right? Everything's warm and hot even. Uh, there's so much information out there. Certainly, you know, if you're a, a company selling software um, with, you know, obviously LinkedIn and, and Twitter and all that, but now you have GitHub as well, right? You could see where they're contributing to. Are they an open source maintainer? Um, what languages do they develop with? Um, so you can really go and get so much information these days, uh, m- you know, more than <laughs> even just three, four years ago where you could say, oh yeah, they like the, Yankees or Red Sox or something like that. But now you're, what languages are they developing with? Um, what causes do they donate to through Facebook and things to that effect? So um, yeah, I mean, there's just so much you can get from a discovery perspective. And of course, just the tools itself, you know, I mean, we, we subscribe obviously to some, you know, enterprise sales type tools that provide us insight of where people are going on our blog and where people are checking out our, our website and, and such. So um you know, we're doing a, a really good job of compiling all that data uh, that's always kind of been there, but now seeing all in one view, um, you know, one of the things that we've developed are these dashboards um, that, that can basically surface all of that information uh, to a rep. Awesome. Well, Matthew, thank you so much for your time, Bridget. It's always fantastic to see you. If you had to think about one actionable tip that you would give folks out there around in improving their demo, right? Something that they could start to apply like tomorrow. What would that tip be? And Bridget, we'll start with you if anything comes to mind. Make the demo a discovery call. Awesome. Matthew, how about yourself? Uh, don't rush to do a demo. Um, do the discovery call first and uh, you know, make sure you have the information, um, the vision of where they're trying to get to before you you attempt even to to try to do a demo.
Thank you. And Matthew, if folks want to learn more about your content or connect with you on social, what are some great handles or URLs to reach you? Sure. Yeah. LinkedIn would be best for me. Um, so you can find me at linkedin.com slash Matthew Arno. Awesome. How about yourself, Bridget? LinkedIn is probably best also, but Twitter as well. So at Bridget Gleason on Twitter and then um, LinkedIn, Bridget Gleason, Bridget L. Gleason. Awesome. Well, thank you both for joining us on the show today and uh, have a wonderful, wonderful afternoon. Thank you, George. You also. Bye.